Today we are continuing our series that we've begun now through January about going through the Bible this year. The whole Bible. I'm doing this in here. Life groups are doing that where we've got a 42-week curriculum where we're going to walk through every piece, every area, section of the Bible. You really will have a chance this year to study the whole of Scripture. And it's not one or the other. Come in here or go to a life group. Man, take advantage of both. Both are a great opportunity to look at, to understand all these different pieces. And in 42 weeks, you really will have a lot of the Scripture that you will have studied. Of course, we're also encouraging you to to read that on your own, to read every page of the Bible, to go through it. Now, when I say every page... Don't, don't, don't quit because you fall a few days behind. Just pick up where you need to be. You may not have even have started. Maybe, maybe this is your first time in our church or you hadn't been in a while. I'd find a Bible reading plan and start on January 27th. Get started because we want to all together because that's what we're about here together. Not, not what we do as individuals, what we do all together. We want to all together go and get the blessing that God's promised You hear that? He's promised a blessing when you and I read and hear and keep His Word. So we're going to go get all of that together. And going and getting all of that together has us in Genesis chapter 22 today. Uh, We were in Genesis chapter 15 last week. And uh, now we're coming to Genesis 22. and, And it's a real interesting what happened last week. What we're going to look at this week. Last week, we saw God model for us covenant relationship. And you remember I defined, described covenant as, in covenant, your focus is on what you bring. How, how you serve the relationship, what your responsibility to the relationship is. That's covenant. That's not normal, is it? Normally, when we enter a relationship, we're thinking, I'm thinking about what you bring. What you bring to me, what you do for me, how you make me happy. And I'm not not saying that's selfish and wrong and every relationship should be covenant. No, there are covenant relationships and God models one where his focus is on what he brings to us. And that's what we saw in Genesis 15. God enters this relationship and he says, man, I'm going to give you all this stuff. And all Abraham has to do is respond by faith. And and you and I are the same way. God enters our lives and it's all that he's going to bring and we respond by faith. Now, what we learn in Genesis 22 is that that faith is going to be tested. How how does that make you feel when you hear your, your faith is going to be tested? Most of us don't respond well to the word test anyway, do we? I don't want to take a test. Why do I need to be tested? What, what's, the, what's this test? Is that nice of God to test? Does God test? Well, let's, let's let God speak for himself, shall we? Let's look up here. Let's see what God says about tests. Deuteronomy chapter 8. God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. Okay, there it is. God tests. Why? To humble us. To find out what's in our heart. To see if we're, we're really going to obey. That's one verse. Let's see if there's another. How about Psalm 11? The Lord tests the righteous. Well, that's just straight up direct, isn't it? I mean, you just it, does the Lord test people? Psalm 11 answers that all by itself. Now, notice it says the Lord tests the righteous. When I read that thing, well, why, why doesn't he test the unrighteous? They're the ones being bad. God, go get them. Do you know why God doesn't test the unrighteous? Because they have no faith. You can't test something that's not there. Remember, it's faith that is being tested. The Lord tests the righteous. First Peter 1, you've been grieved by various trials, haven't we all? 
Man, you know, at some point in your life, maybe it lasted a day, maybe it lasted three years. But we've all been through, in most cases, more than one. You've been through griefs. You've been through difficulties. You've been through things that hurt, things that were wrong, things that frustrated, things that made you mad. Maybe even some of that you thought was a little bit of God's fault, God's responsibility. We've been through all of these things. Why? Because it tests It tests the genuineness. Is my faith real? Is it authentic? Do I know that I... How many of us wonder, boy, I wonder if I have real faith. I wonder if I have the kind of faith that that actually saves me. Folks, when I look back after I've been through a test, I say, hey, my faith is real. My faith is genuine. So the test serves us just like it serves God. So, yeah, it seems pretty clear just from three passages. There's many others. God tests Now let's see what that looks like in his relationship with Abraham. Would you turn with me this morning to Genesis 22. If you have your Bible with you or you're using a a Bible app on your phone, get to Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to begin there in verse 1. Genesis 22 verse 1. After these things, God tested. Well, there it is again. (laughs) Like I said, those aren't the only three verses over and over. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went of them together. When they came to a place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Hey, if I could stop right here, and it's kind of a rough place to stop because obviously we're at a high point in the story. But this angel of the Lord, I just I feel like I have to give a little comment on that. This angel of now, when you hear the word angel of the Lord, what do you think of? It's not a trick question, starts with an A, ends with an L. And you think of an angel, right? Because it just said angel. So I mean, right away my mind goes, This is a this is an angel we're looking at here. But there is an angel that is constantly referred to as the angel of the Lord. And it's kind of interesting because he talks about God. He talks to God. He represents God. But then there's other places where it appears the angel of the Lord is God. 
He has some of the same qualities, some of the same attributes. There's places where he allows people to worship him. And if you have studied angels at all, apparently they're a quite impressive being. And and when people tend to see an angel, they kind of fall down like this is something to worship. And angels always say, don't. Do not worship me. Only worship God. But the angel of the Lord receives worship. So what's going on here? The angel of the Lord is talking to the Lord, but the angel of the Lord is the Lord. What we're looking at here is the second member of the Trinity. We're looking at the pre-incarnate. We're looking at before Bethlehem, Jesus Christ. I wish I could develop a little bit more of that today and, and build that understanding, but the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Abraham is having a conversation here with, with Jesus. And so Jesus says, stop, 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 don't, don't do that. Verse 13 Abraham lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold him was caught a, a, was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Man, isn't there just a whoo? I mean, for everybody, right? I'm, I imagine both Isaac and Abraham are thinking, whoo! So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now folks, we're talking about a test and we're talking about something that seems pretty difficult here. But understand the context it's it's happening in. This isn't an employer testing an employee. You know, he's got him on a monitor to see if he can catch him. This isn't even a, uh, this is, is, I mean, we think, okay, God, we serve God, but this isn't a, you know, this, this God figure that is watching to see if his subjects will do the right thing. This is, this is a friendship. Abraham is a friend of God. You and I are a friend of God. That's just, that isn't just a neat thing I thought and it makes me feel good to say it. God's word gives us that status. God gives us that status. It's God who calls Abraham his friends. It's God who calls you and me his friends. And guess what? Friendships are tested sometimes, aren't they? They're, they're tested. They're developed and sometimes when friendships go through a test, I mean, the, the reality is sometimes that, that's too much for the relationship. It wasn't strong enough. It kind of blows apart there. But other times when a friendship has gone through a test, you come out the other side, you're better friends than you ever were before, right? Let me, let me kind of get to where we're going. Let's get to the end of the sermon, the target that we're trying to understand. Folks, God wants to take you and I to the place. We want to grow to the place Where we are responding to God, not just for the goodies that we get, but for who He is. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? There's nothing, not one thing wrong with approaching God, coming to God for what we get from Him. That's how God introduces Himself. There's there's nothing wrong with, with we want things from God and we come to God for things. But at some point in this friendship... God wants to know, is there anything between us other than what I do for you? Do, do you actually love me as a, as a person? Do you understand who I... I mean, is that, is that fair? If I called you, as a matter of fact, I bet you've got somebody like this in your life. If, I call, if every single time I said hello to you, every single time I called you, I wanted something, would you say, well, Randy, he's my best friend? Probably not. You'd probably see me coming and think, what does he want this time? 
Now, I'm, I'm not trying to have us get that feeling that that's what God is saying or doing. I, I'm just saying it's very natural when you're in a relationship with somebody to want to know, is this just about what I give you and do for you, or are we actually friends? Do, do we actually have something here? Now, you think about it. God comes to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. Last week, we focused on Genesis 15, and God comes, and he does. He comes with the goodie bag. Man, I'm going to give you a son, and out of you and that son are going to come descendants. Man, you're going to become a whole nation of people. I mean, none of us has been given a promise like, I'm going to be a nation. Sounds kind of cool. I don't know. And, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make you powerful. Man, hey, listen, when this is all done, Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed through you. Through what I do with you and your family, the whole entire world for all of human history will have a chance to be blessed. I'll sign up for that. That sounds pretty cool. Let's do that, Lord. See, and all Abraham had to do was move. That's it. He had to move. He had to move from where he was with his family, Ur, and he had to move over here to this new land, Canaan. Now, it really wasn't about a move. When you move, then all the stuff will come. What, what's behind the move? It's faith, right? I, I got to actually believe this voice that I'm hearing is God. I've got to actually believe that he can do what he says he's going. I'm not going to move unless I believe. Is that right? Y'all understand that? I'm not doing anything, I'm not going anywhere, unless I actually believe, unless I actually have faith. And we saw that last week in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that, put, that made him right with the covenant. So, God, I mean, Abraham is just responding to all that God is going to do for him. And he, and he moves, he just believes on these promises, which is kind of incredible. I'm not... I'm not actually, I mean, think of us in our scientific day and age. I don't know what evidence Abraham is responding to. I, I don't know what evidence he's saying, yes, I can trust that this is God, and I can trust that he's going to do these things he said he's going to He just believes. It's pretty incredible. But boy, Genesis 22, what we looked at last week in 15, and what's going on in 22, man, those are worlds apart. Because now God again shows up in Abraham's life. And this time there's no goodie bag. You know, it's not a knock on the door. Hey, Abraham, I got an Amazon Prime truck out here. Where do you want me to put all the stuff I have for you? You want it in the garage? Where, where do you want all this? No, no it, matter of fact, you notice not in one place in Genesis 22 does God say, here's what I'm going to give you. Here's one, now I shouldn't say one place in 22, there is, I didn't read it, I just gave away the ending. But, uh, I mean, in what we read in this test, there's nothing about what I'm going to get. But rather, this time, it's about how I'm going to respond to God, simply for who He is. Right? That the next step I take isn't because what God promised He's going to give me, the next step I take is because I love God. Because of what I believe about God. And I tell you, I, you know, there's a couple of words in this story that just kind of, I think, gosh, I, I, could I do that? Would I be like that? Would I be able? And the first word is the word early. You might have just read right by it. But it says early the next morning. God and, God and Abraham have this conversation. God says, here's what I want you to do. 
early than I don't know what time their conversation. I don't know if it was in the middle of the day, if it was at dinner time. I don't know if God woke, woke Abraham up in the middle of the night after he'd already gone to sleep. It doesn't tell us what the timing was during that day. But it does say early the next morning. I'm going to be honest with you folks, I'd be dawdling the next morning. I'd be dragging my feet a little bit the next morning. I'd, I'd be thinking, well, the Lord didn't actually say when to do this. What if I, you know, I've got a busy week. I'm going to, I need to go ahead and get these things done. Hey, what? I mean, surely I could wait till Isaac's next birthday. Let's let him get another year. I mean, wh- would, you be, would you be dragging your feet? Shame on you if you wouldn't. Y- yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be dragging my feet here about following. Early. The next morning, what, what, what did Abraham know? What did he believe that he would not only obey, but would do it so immediately? You know what? I really feel like I need to know the answer to that question. I, I feel like I need to engage with what is in Abraham that he would do this. Because folks, God's not engaging you and me in very much of a different way. The way he's relating with you and me is very, very similar to what we see happening here with Abraham. There was a time in your life when you were introduced to God. I'm not talking about the first time you just heard the name God. I'm talking about there was a time you were introduced to him and you said, that's it. I, I want God. And when you were, you may have been eight and understood very little, but it, it, it still, it, it made sense. It came to you. You may have been 15 at youth camp or maybe you were 37 and you were at a Bible study and at work or, at, you know, in the neighborhood or maybe at a church. But you understood that God was God. And let me tell you what you were responding to. Everything he had to offer. The first, time, the first time you took a step. Man, when I come to God, I, I get love. I get forgiveness. I, I get adopted as his child. I'm going to get heaven. And this isn't all stuff I'll just see way out there somewhere one day. Man, right here, right now, I get his guidance. I get his protection. I, I get his presence in my life. Man, there's all the. Isn't it amazing people reject this? Isn't it amazing that people show no interest in this? I mean... How do I get signed up for this right here, right now? And we came to Christ. But just like Abraham. I mean, here we are like Abraham. We're responding to the offer. But folks, at some point, God wants to grow the relationship to where we're not just responding to an offer. But we're actually responding to Him as a person. We're, we're coming to Him and to the relationship because of the worth and the value that we see in Him. So Abraham and, and Isaac get up that morning, early the next morning, and it says there that he took two guys with him. You know, another little factoid. Uh, we've been reading about, about Abraham for ten chapters now, and you know, we know that when he left Ur of Chaldees, he, it, it was him, and it was Sarah, and it was Lot. Do you all remember that? That wasn't in a sermon, but if you've been reading through the Bible or maybe in life group it was brought up. You know, he left, he left, and it was, it was three of them. And they went to this new land. And now here we are ten chapters later, and it's not three of them anymore. And it's not just three of them plus Isaac. You know how many people live in Abraham's tent? Maybe a give or take a thousand. A thousand? Where did a thousand people come from? I don't really know. But a part of him getting big, a part of him getting wealthy, a part of the blessing of God. You, you say, well, how do you get that number? Well, I know that Lot got into some trouble. And Abraham had to go rescue him. And it says that Abraham took with him an army of 300. Where did he get an army of 300? 
Well, you remember he's got, all these, he's got all these growing herds, and that's really how wealth was defined back then. He's got all these herds. He's hiring people. And if he's got an army of 300, I'm guessing many of that 300, they have a wife back at camp. And maybe not only a wife, but a kid or two kids back at camp. Listen, what you got out here is not Abraham Sammy. You got Abraham Incorporated. They are on the move. This is a nomadic corporation that is moving around here. So he's got a crowd with them at this. What we're talking about here is how God is immediately fulfilling promises, immediately blessing. He left with three. He's got a camp now of about a thousand, but one son. And God's just asked for him. And so he grabs two guys you say, why, why did he bring the two guys? I mean, you think this whole thing's kind of an intimate moment with God, very personal thing. Why does he take the two guys? Well, they are walking in the wilderness, right? You heard of wild animals? You're, you're, you're robbers? You know, I need a little muscle with me. I mean, it's just me and my... my hey, what if something happens to me? Who's going to get Isaac back to his mom? I mean, I, I don't think his goal is to bring an army so that we're protected no matter what happens on the trip. But he wants a couple people. Brings a couple of guys with them, and, and so they, they, they take off. And uh, can you imagine that for three days walking? I mean, don't you imagine just a lot of small talk going on, the weather, what we saw on the hike? Can, can you imagine how hard it was to sound engaged in that small talk? He is literally carrying the weight of the world on him right now, and he's walking with these two guys and his son and making conversation. Can you imagine those three nights? Time to, time to set up camp. Imagine when he hugged Isaac goodnight. I, I'm, I'm guessing he hung, hugged him a, a, a little longer, hugged him a little tighter. Like, probably to the point that it was a little awkward. Like, I love you too, Dad. You can let go now. Good night, Dad. Gosh, what was it like for those three days? Obviously, they come up. It, it's, you know, in one place, it, got, it says where God shows you. And, and so he kind of knows the destination, the mountain range. And then they get within sight of the mountain range. And I, I guess the Lord makes it clear to him, it's, it's that, go, go there, go to that mountain right there. And so, so he knows where he's going now. And so now he leaves the two guys behind and he says, stay here with the stuff while the boy and I go over to... Did you see it? That, that word blows me away. Worship. Is, is that what this is about? This is about worship? I mean, I can't help but think that Abraham is going through right now in his 90 plus years of life, the most difficult moment in his life. And he just said, what I'm getting ready to do is about the worth and the value of God in my, in my life. Are your toughest moments about worship? Or the moment when you're at the end of yourself, at the moment when you don't even know what to pray anymore, at the moment when you're so exhausted, when you're so mad, when, is that about, I'm going over there to worship. And as a matter of fact, you know, the way I put that question up there are our toughest moments. It's almost like fill in the blank. It's very generic, isn't it? What, what's your tough moment? But it's not a generic tough moment. It's a tough moment with God. God is my tough moment right here. I mean, would it be hard? I don't like God. This isn't... Is your toughest moment you've ever had with God about worship? 
So they, they take off. And we're now seven verses. Now in that term, it's not very long. Verse 1 to verse 7, that's not very long. When we get to verse 7 and we hear our very first question. But when you think about what's happened, I'm, I'm just a little surprised a question hasn't happened yet. I mean, there's this whole interaction with God and Abraham and the request. And then there's getting up early. And then there's three days of travel. And now there's the spot and we separate. And now just Isaac and I are, are going toward the... I don't know. I wouldn't have waited till verse 7. I'd have had a question in verse 1. I, 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 have, a, I have a question, Lord. How about you? By the way, the fact that we're pointing out a question, do you notice that Abraham never asks a question? I, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's not in the scripture. I, I don't know if he had one in his heart, in his mind, I, I, I don't know. But Abraham never asks a que- question. But Isaac asks what I guess at this point is kind of an obvious question. He says, Dad, we, and we've got wood, we've got a fire. By the way, isn't that just real to how long ago this was? You know, we just carry matches or a lighter or something, right? No, they've got to carry fire. You're going to build a fire way over there. You've got to carry the fire with you. And so they've got everything. Well, there's, no, there's just one thing missing. No, it's not something that's missing. It's the most important. Dad, Dad, where's the lamb? I mean, the only reason we've made this journey is to go and sacrifice the lamb. Where, Dad, where's the lamb? Jehovah. Jaira. The Lord will provide. You see, just in this story, how he's growing. He, he's not walking toward Mount Moriah because God said, hey, when you get there, I've got this and this and this for you. All he sees at Mount Moriah is the biggest loss he will ever experience. Only, seeing, only thing I see over there is nothing but loss. Yahweh, Jireh, the Lord will provide. I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not sure I actually grasp what it is he's trusting that God is going to provide. I, I, I don't know if he means something very specific. About, when we get there, the Lord will let me off the hook. It's not going to be you. The Lord's going to provide a lamb when we get there. When we, when we get there and this happens, the Lord will provide a son. He promised The Lord, when we get there and this happens, the Lord will provide resurrection. I have no idea what it is he actually believes that God is going to provide. But but boy, do I see where God wants to take everybody he's in a relationship with. Because I think what Abraham means at that moment is while what is in front of me is nothing but loss, everything I have and everything I am God has provided. I don't know what happens tomorrow. I I, I don't know what happens when I lose this. But I don't have anything and I'm not anything that the Lord hasn't provided. When I get there, He will provide. Do you see now, unlike 12, Genesis 12, unlike 15, every step He is taking toward God is nothing that He gets. It's what He believes about God. It's what He trusts 
in God. And that's a strange thing to think through. Because honestly, folks, and listen, if you're new to the Scripture or the the Judeo-Christian faith, I I, I, want to be clear here. Genesis 22 is an extremely unique page of the Bible. There's not another page. There's not another story like it. As a matter of fact, while Abraham is counting on the character of God, the truth of the matter is the request is outside the character of God, isn't it? Now, we know that actually from the rest of Scripture. I mean, matter of fact, we're in Genesis, we get to Exodus, we get to Leviticus, we are going to hear very clearly, no human sacrifices. God absolutely forbids human sacrifice of any kind in the name of of worship. He actually specifies that even more in some passages and says, no child sacrifice, don't ever sacrifice. Sacrifice a child. Very interesting thought in light of the week that America just walked through. No, Lord, we'll sacrifice tens of millions. But God says, that's, that's not me. Don't ever think you're, you're doing that and it's for me. So, okay, well then how do I reconcile something that's clearly not God, yet he's asking it, and Abraham seems to be walking forward in obedience. What, what am I supposed to walk away with from here? You know, folks, I think we all reach places and times with God where we don't maybe like him, don't understand what he's asking, don't like what he's asking, just very confused about what it means to to follow him. And I think Abraham shows us, when you don't know what to do, you just take your next step in the character of God. You take your next step of faith. You rest. I love that word, rest. Rest. I'm not stressed. I'm not worried. I'm not trying to figure it out. My next step, I'm just going to keep moving until God makes it clear. But I'm resting in what God is like. I'm resting in who He is. So, I don't understand this moment. I, I don't like this moment. But God has all wisdom and knowledge. Hey God, this moment is not fair. It's not right. But God is just. God is fair. I'm going to rest in that until that's clear. Man, Lord, I feel so alone. But God's always with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. God, I don't, I don't have it. I don't, I don't have within me. I don't, I don't have with me. I don't have what I need to take the next step. But you will provide you step into God's character you rest in who he is it's the safest place in your life it's the safest place in the universe I just gosh it's 11:45 we need to go home there's so much more I got I got to finish up you know I, I can I just say real quickly what we're not going to talk about today we're not going to talk about Isaac's faith. What? Aren't you a little interested in what's going on with Isaac? It's saying the way it reads. I mean, there's some point he realized who the lamb was. I'm going to tell you that. The next line would have been, and Abraham chased Randy Hahn. He'd had to chase me all the way. And I'm pretty fast. Well, I was one time. But it, I'd have given it a good effort. He'd have had to hunt me down. I mean, but that's... I, I, 
Doesn't it read like he just kind of willingly, voluntarily goes along with it? What's going on between the relationship with Isaac and Abraham? And I wonder, is that foreshadowing something for us? Because while Abraham and Isaac are going to be stopped, there's another father and another son. There's another son who is very willingly and voluntarily going to go along with this idea that I will be sacrificed for the covenant, for the friendship. And that won't be stopped. And that's when the father allows his own son. God the father allows it. I'd like to, is something going on there? Maybe we could close the loop a little bit more. I think I said it pretty clear, but Lord, is that very responsible of you to use an illustration where you ask somebody for their... Do you know how many crazy people there are out there in the world, Lord? Don't you want to... I mean, I want to clean that up a little bit. Now, here's where it says. I want to run to those verses and, and make it clear. Maybe we'd want to study a little bit more of this concept of the angel of the Lord actually being Jesus. I mean, there's a lot in this story. And you know what? I didn't even read the best part of the story, the passing of the test. The angel of the Lord shows up again and and says, Oh, man, you're not going to believe what's happening in heaven right now. The party going on over you passing. Man, you thought you've been blessed. You've never seen blessing, Abraham. And the angel of the Lord details what's about to happen in his his life. Man, there's so much more. But to get to the end, it, it does actually say the angel of the Lord stops him. Jesus stops him and says, I've already seen. What did he see? I mean, you look down at your scripture there, what did he see? He saw, you fear God. There's nothing you value more than me. Test passed. You know, I don't know why. When I, when I read that, I started thinking, so what does it mean and what does it look like when I don't pass a test? Because I don't know about you, I'm pretty confident I've missed on one or two tests. So I thought, what, is, what does it look like? What does that mean when I, when I don't? Okay, well, if passing means I, there's nothing I respect more, there, there's nothing I love more than God, then, well, I guess, folks, every single time I sinned this past week, I was actually telling God, there is something I respect more than you. There's something I value. There, there, I, I, I value my protection. I value revenge. I value pleasure. I value love. I value that person. Folks, you realize every single... You call it a big sin, a little sin. I don't know how you look at it. Every single sin you commit. In that moment, you're saying, I value that and I want that more than I want you. I doubt any of us have ever used those words. Hey, God, this is what I want more than you. I doubt, but that's, what, that's actually what we're saying. You know, it's been interesting. And I'm not, I'm not actually saying I've lived a sinless week. But the Holy Spirit really helped me this week a number of times as I was coming up on what I know could have been maybe a little bit more of a sinful response from me to just stop and say, wait a minute, it... it is that what I'm wanting to communicate in this, mo- this moment? That I love this? That I want this? More than you? Man, folks, I don't want to say that. But I am. Probably more times than I'm aware. Man, to pass a test. You know, a- actually, I just said... Jesus told him all these blessings that are coming. I I actually think the great blessing that comes from passing a test 
And this is an opinion. You, you don't have to believe it or, or, or see it the same way I do. But I, I just think that as Abraham walked away that day, test over, I passed. I think he loved God. And I think he loved Isaac more than he ever thought possible. Which is interesting because when I sin, separate myself from God... And I create the situation where that which I think I love more, I'm going to lose that too. Because everything gained in sin will be lost. Everything. Sometimes immediately, sometimes it takes years. But everything you seize in sin will be lost. So when I fail the test, I remove myself from the only friendship that counts. And I lose the very thing I'm going after. When I pass the test, I get it all. I get it all. So are you ready for the test? You know, I think I need to add a word to test. Pop. It's, it's, it's pop test, isn't it? I'm, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure. It doesn't say this in Genesis 21. Hey, Abraham, next Tuesday at 10 o'clock, final exam. It's a big one. I'd study all week. I think it's a pop test. I think you just wake up one morning and all of a sudden get out a piece of paper. No. It's a, do you remember taking a pop test? Now, some of you, is like last Thursday. Others can't even remember the name of the elementary school that you would have taken a pop test in. But if, if you can remember taking a pop test, I bet the word daily was used. Daily, do your homework. Daily, study each day, today's, and you'll be ready. That's what I remember Miss Armstrong telling me. Oh, I love Miss Armstrong. Wow. She's my third grade teacher. She was wonderful. I was a bit of a problem in third grade. So she moved my desk up next to hers. And I thought that was awesome. So I just stayed in enough trouble that I could stay right there next to her the rest of the year. That's, forget, I'm running out of time. So anyway, Ms. Armstrong said daily, daily. You know, and I started thinking, I wonder if that's how a pop test with God would work. And I started thinking about how we would maybe prepare. And and look look at this list here. And the list is not, it's not do these four things. It might actually be eight. It might be 12. It's it's just to get us thinking. Man, if I'm going to be ready for a pop, I don't know if a test is coming this week or not. But if I'm going to be ready, man, I need to daily be worshiping, don't I? I need to daily be investing in my own soul the value and the greatness of God. You know, if, if you miss church for the next eight Sundays, we'll see you back here April, second Sunday in April. <laughs> you know, if you believe today, if you worship God today, God, I believe you're magnificent. And you don't go to church for eight weeks, and I see you on the way and say, hey, do you believe God is magnificent? You say, yes, I do. And I bet you mean it. I wouldn't challenge that at all. If you go the next eight days, and you don't, tell God you love them once, you don't thank them once, you don't worship them once, but at the end of that eight days, do you still think God is magnificent? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, I, I probably should have prayed a little more this week, but I, I think God's... Ma- sure you do, I don't doubt that. But when the test comes, will you know the magnificence of God? See, when the test comes from, when the test comes, folks, our cliches our little platitudes and our little recitation of beliefs most of the time ends up meaning nothing. It's what, it is what has become a part of my soul. 
And that, that's, folks, I don't know any other way to do that, but daily, daily, I am loving God. Daily, I'm focused on the worth and the greatness of God. Weekly, I'm gathering with God's people because that's how God defined worship. It's not what I do alone. It's when I gather with His people and I'm building, I'm constantly investing for my soul a readiness for that test. So when it comes, I know there's nothing out there to seize that is greater, more beautiful, more truthful, more pure, more lovely, that can do more for me than my God. It's daily worship. It's daily being in His Word. Folks, that's why we're, that's why we're challenging everybody to read. Listen... I know sometimes it ends up sounding like religion or church. Well, that's where you go and you do a bunch of stuff that makes no sense and apparently it makes God happy. You know, go read a book that you don't understand and apparently at the end of the day, God's somehow pleased by that. (laughs) Folks, it's not an exercise. It's not, you know, you okay, God loves me more now after I read it than he did before. No, in this book is God's heart. In this book are his words, his thoughts. What makes his heart beat? Every moment I'm spending in here, I'm, I'm kind of welding my personality to his personality. I'm kind of welding my character to his character. When I get to that moment and I forget everything, all I have to take the next step, the only thing I know is the Lord provides. I don't know anything about where this road leads. I don't like where this road leads, but I know the Lord provides. And I, I, you know, I, I need to daily depend upon him. Why do I need to daily depend on him? So I can let God build a track record in my life. So I can, I can see, God did this here, God did this here, God did this here, God did this here. You know, a lot of, I'm confident many of us would say, I don't see much of a track record in my life. It's because you don't depend upon him. You know, a lot of us will depend upon him in the huge event, Right? But we don't depend. Listen, if you're not depending on God on little tiny easy things that you don't even feel like you need to take to Him, it's it's going to be very difficult to depend upon Him on the thing that you know you need Him because there's no track record. Folks, the challenge this week is not to see how little you can bother God. The challenge this week is to see how many unimportant, irrelevant, honestly, you could do it on your own things you can depend upon Him for. And the more you do that, the more you see him moving and work. He's moving and working whether you depend upon him or not. But when I depend upon him, now I see it. And I, got to, I, see, I get to see a track record. Man, I, I daily get to see, folks, that it, I, I need to daily obey so that I see his way works. Obedience does work. It really does. It can be hard. It can cost. But it really does work. And if I'm not purposely working at obeying, then when I come to a thing where all of life now depends on this next obedient step, I'm going to fail. I got to obey. Do you know the Bible says encourage one another? How many times did you on purpose work in the last seven days to encourage another believer in their walk with the Lord? I mean, that's such a little command, most of us never think about it, right? But isn't that the ones you and I should be taking on? The little commands that nobody's even thinking? I'm encouraging, how hard is that? How many ways did I look to obey God and then discover what it produces in their life, what it produces in my life when I obey? Obedience works. 
Because sometimes, folks, obedience might seem unreasonable. I, I really struggle with Genesis 22. I mean, if, I, if, if God would have asked me, I'd have said, God, I don't know. That, that's a question that seems a little out of bounds. There's crazy people out there. They're going to take that wrong, Lord. I'd... Why, why does God ask something that even by his definition is unreasonable? Because, folks, the truth is there are places in your life and in my life. You walked through some of them this week. There are places in our lives where every single command of God we will determine is unreasonable. That's not, that doesn't work anymore, Lord. That's not how it is here anymore, Lord. Well, not in this situation, Lord. I think he shows us what he clearly knows would be unreasonable to every one of us to say, you'll make every one of my commands unreasonable to follow. Until you discover that my way works for you. It works for you. I, didn't, I don't get anything out of whether you do that or not. You get something out of it. You ready for the next pop test? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I want to I be like Abraham. And Lord, even as I pray that, I, I feel my own lack of faith. I'm not, Lord, I'm not sure I trust you with that prayer. I don't want you to test me like you did that. But sure, Lord, I sure would like to see that when you say something, I wake up early. God, I sure would like to be at a place where every difficult moment in life is my best opportunity to worship, my best opportunity to show the value of you. God, I don't want to just recite a theological belief the Lord provides. I want to know. With nothing in front of me but loss, I can keep moving forward because I know I know Jehovah Jireh. Oh Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help me, help us to be ready for the next test. And I pray that whatever that test might be, God, we will show you there is no greater value in our lives than our friendship with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.